Welcome to the Brain Language Podcast, where we discuss NLP concepts to help you improve your business and your life. I'm Alex Toline. And I'm Susan Stageman. And today uh, we're going to cover uh, what I want to call the show of what's a question all about? Okay, that's right. And <laughs> I'm sure you have a lot of questions about this new year. I want to wish all of our listeners a uh, happy new year. And by comparison, I'm sure this year will be a little bit better, at least a little bit better than last year. I know a lot of people have struggled with the COVID and being shut away for part of the year. So we're, we're feeling very fancy free right now, just because we can go out and get in our cars. Right. We have a little bit of freedom. It, it, it makes this uh, this episode really interesting to me because uh, an NLP concept is um, the quality of your life, or your experience is the quality of uh, uh, the quality of the questions that you ask. Right. And so can yeah. I can I ask a better question? Right. So many people. I mean, have you ever thought about I, I know this has happened to me, Alex. I ask a lot of questions. I have learned to ask a lot of questions because there have been too many times in my life where I've left a situation or I've signed up for something or made a commitment and then thought later, wow, I wish I had asked more questions about this. I mean, who, who has not been in a situation like that? So I thought we'd start out the year by doing a whole section uh, an episode on questions and how to get information because that's why we ask questions, right? Is to get information. That's right. So they're a valuable part of conversations and communication. And yet sometimes a lot of times training just focuses on, you know, the right words to use or how to listen, but they don't really focus on the questions. Well, if you don't ask good questions, you won't get good answers. And if it's, you got to train yourself to ask those really good questions so that you'll be well-informed. Uh, the direction of a conversation or a meeting or a presentation depends on the questions you ask and the kind of information that you get from those questions. If you ask high quality questions, you get high quality information. If you ask useless questions, guess what? You get useless information. It's yeah, like, I, I, I hope I'm not going to jump ahead here, but uh, um, something I learned in your classes, you know, uh, and I'll tell you how I used it, but um, I went to a restaurant, we had a big party and, and uh, this restaurant said, well, we don't seat, you know, tables bigger than six. And um, my, my team and my crowd was, they were getting a little frustrated by this. And so I said, let me ask you a question. What would have to be true for you to sit eight of us? <laughs> and, uh, <Right. laughs> they went off this. Well, I don't know. They went off and asked the manager. And before you knew it, we were all, you know, sitting together, but, uh, and that's the difference, right? right. How I asked that question really made a big difference in, in the response. Yeah. You know, that's so true. If you had said, well, why not? Because why, as we're going to find out, doesn't necessarily give you high quality information because people will just respond for reasons and justifications for those reasons. And <laughs> so when you ask questions like, is it possible? 
is it possible for us to see, is it possible for you to seat eight people? Is it possible for you to get this to be my Tuesday? Is it possible? Because normally people will answer a possibility question with a yes. If you say, is it necessary or ask, is it necessary? You'll get a no. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. But I love that. I, that's a great example of if you ask the right question, you'll get a better answer. And I, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't ask a question, especially in that situation, because sometimes the people on the front lines like that, they're just doing the rules. They don't have the authority to make a decision to make an exception. So that's I think correct. that's really brilliant. So what do questions do for us? I mean, why not just talk all the time? <laughs> well, some people do. They never think to ask a question, but I think questions can be uh, valuable. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly going to help you establish some rapport, right? Absolutely. I think it's one of the best rapport building techniques, actually, is to ask questions about people, not personal you know, intimate questions, but questions about who you are and what you do and, and uh, how did you get here, et cetera, et cetera, shows people that you're interested in them. So certainly asking questions about other people shows interest and therefore is a great rapport builder because people like to talk about themselves. We all know situations, we've been to parties and social gatherings, not lately, but when we have, we, you know, there'll be that one person that comes up to you. You don't really know them, but they're, they're really good at asking questions. And after 10 minutes, you've just spilled your whole guts, you know, everything in your life. They haven't said one thing about you, you know, about themselves to you. And yet you think they're the coolest person in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> they could be just... Horrible. I mean, they could be a serial killer, but we think they're great people because they ask a bunch of questions about us. So well, we'll, we'll definitely say it's a skill. So <laughs> it is a skill. It is a skill. So, you know, sometimes people will give us great big, huge chunks of information, like overviews. And I think sometimes we get into trouble because we don't ask about the details. So it, questions are certainly tools that'll chunk up or chunk down information. We can also get people to reinforce a problem by asking a question, or we can get a person to expand their knowledge and the idea of possibility of choice by asking a, a better question. So those are a couple of things. Obviously, they can open up new frontiers and knowledge. Uh, just like the, even, even the question that you ask at the restaurant, it opened up a, a possibility for you, right? right? Rather than, you know, why? Well, why can't you do this? Which just burrows people down deeper into their own frame of reference. So why can't you sit, seat at six people? Yeah, you're not going to change any minds with that, right? That No. <laughs> why questions don't really do that. And uh, you, we can also, by asking a question, a certain question, type of question, help people look at things in, in a different way. So they define purpose and um, they define our, they actually define our worlds into categories, both small and large. 
So if, if I, if I asked you, Alex, think of a time when you feel fascinated, that'll create a direction with a set of experiences. So, sure. so if I think, think of a time in w when you felt fascinated. Okay. All right. So, so basically what a question does, what I just asked Alice to do is I said, here, this is what we're going to do. Select this. So questions are a way of directing your listener and how to think. Now, if I wanted to, if I wanted to decrease the number of ideas or experiences that Alex was going to pick up or think of, I would say, well, think of a time when you felt most fascinated. The, just by putting that little word most in there now takes it down to one. Sometimes we'll, we'll ask questions that are way too broad. What's your favorite car? And okay. you could ask, uh, or what cars do you like? And so that, that gives a person a whole world of cars to choose from. But if you say what is what is your favorite car or what's the most enjoyable car you ever owned now you're you're taking it down to a subset of a few it, it makes it a lot easier for people to select something <laughs> which which corvette do you like yes which corvette okay there you go which corvette <laughs> do you like my husband could ans answer that question really easily in fact over the holiday, I bought uh, a new car. It's the first new car I've had in a long time. Okay. And I'm pretty excited because it was something that I've wanted for a long time. I've wanted an SUV. And so I, I purchased an SUV. And now my husband, of course, it's, it's really a great car, I must admit. And <laughs> now my husband is saying, um, Hey, do you want me to take you over here? Do you want me to take you to your appointment? Do you want me to, I'm just really, because he wants to drive it, you see. <laughs> he's so transparent. So anyway, now he's saying, well, now that you have this SUV, because see, he has a Jeep. Now you have uh -huh. this SUV. I think I'll, I'll use that as my work car and then I'll buy a Corvette. <laughs> I said, no, you're not buying a Corvette. He has plans so, for your anyways. things. <laughs> so the other thing is learn to ask when questions. That'll trigger information about where in time and, and, and when event occurred and when it was perceived by the person to have started. So those are just some examples. Also okay. learning to challenge quantification in language where people automatically place boundaries, you know, in their world, in their model of the world. Someone says, well, it just happens. Okay, well, when when did it just happen, start, and exactly what triggered it? What happened before that? So if you, if you ask a person, they'll say, oh, it just happens. Well, what happened just before that? Because then you'll get a more descriptive um, experience from them. The, the other thing that a brain does, and I was just talking about this this weekend when I was working with my students about the brain and memory. 
you know, if you ask a question, you know this, Alex, you ask somebody a question and they don't know the answer. A lot of times people get very frustrated, right? They go, oh, my brain. And then they berate their brain like there's something malfunctioning in it. Yeah, the, older, you know, the older we get, the more information we have. It's, it's like a hard drive that's getting full, right? And we don't have any way of defragging necessarily like, like a computer does. So things just get laid down. Sometimes it's seemingly randomly. And so it just takes a while for us to, you know, push the right buttons to get the information to come up. However, if you just say, oh, I'll, if you can't think of it, and you just say, oh, I'll think of it in a minute mm -hmm. and then go on, see your brain works, your memory banks, they work, um, they keep, keep trying to find the answer to that question. In fact, it'll scan about 30 items a second, even when we're not aware that, that the um, uh, search is taking place. So there you go. I mean, so you'll eventually think of it and all you have to do instead of, you know, knocking yourself in the head is just say, hey, I'll think of it in just a minute. And usually in just a minute, it'll pop into your mind. Sometimes mine's a little bit later than that, if it's not really important. But by and large, if I tell <laughs> myself that, it'll pop into my head within a minute or so. Well, is there, is there a formula for asking a good question? Excellent question. So yes, there's a structure to good questions. And in NLP, one of the things that people learn is to have that ability and foresight to ask the question as if you already know what type of information that you need. And it will also lead the listener in a certain direction. In fact, there's a very thin line between elicitation asking and installation. Language not only influences, it reveals, it conveys information, it gives form to thought, it directs the listener how to think, and it creates effects at the conscious and unconscious level. What's really interesting about that is if I say, well, have you seen a horse today? Well, what's, I mean, that's just a silly question, but now your brain has, it's going to start to go through the, I have seen a horse today. So that's what made me think of this. As well, yeah, brain, my, my brain just said, well, not today, but uh, not yesterday today. I did see one. But what happened in your brain when I asked, have you seen a horse today? <laughs> it started to remember when I saw the horse last. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you probably a picture of a horse popped into your mind, even though the answer to that question to, about today was no, right? right. So right. Uh, the first thing, uh, the first thing to keep in mind, though, when you're structuring a question is to know what, know what outcome you want have an idea of the kind of information that you want to get in order to um, make sure that you're getting the right information. So then know what specific words will do. If you ask how, how is going to give us what? It's mm -hmm. a process. Who? Identification, Who's right. 
if we ask, well, what? That'll give you a description. Which one? That'll give us a choice. If I ask why, um, why I get reasons for justifications, reasons for reasons. But when I ask when, I get time and where, place. So who, what, where, when, which will and how will give us some pretty high quality information when asked in the right context. All right. So step one is knowing what the inf what information you need. Step two is what words are you going to use to get it? That's right. So you have to think about, well, what's, what's the most important information that you need? And that's going to determine the, is it going to be the how? Is it going to be the when? Is it going to be, you know, which or where? It doesn't, doesn't matter. And at some point you may ask all of those if you're gathering a lot of information about something. Okay. What, what, What's next? What are the skills um, uh, necessary for gathering information? Certainly. Now, in NLP, we have a whole uh, list of things that we use to gather information. Certainly, all the outcome frame is when we ask, well, what do you want? What will that do for you? We've done that in a, mm -hmm. in a previous podcast mirroring when you mirror someone you gather information mirroring is not just or matching a person is not just about building rapport you're actually aligning with them and you can pick up information from them just by watching and mirroring or matching their body language and then um, you can also pay attention to evidence see this is People don't ask enough questions and then they get evidence and then they don't pay attention to it and or they ask questions and they get information and they still don't pay attention to the evidence. So, you know, somebody will say, well, do you think I should do this? All right, whatever this is defined. And do you think I should do this? And uh, somebody says, sure. And you start doing it and it turns out to be a mess. But because somebody said, sure, you ought to be doing that, you go ahead and do it, and then you have a big mess on your hands. So it's also paying attention to evidence, even though you may get um, information to the contrary. And then, of course, you know, challenging uh, things that information that doesn't fit with what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. So evidence is, is, is really interesting because when you start eliciting that evidence creates almost a, a part of somebody's belief system feedback loop too, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. So it, it, we're starting a, a year, the, you know, the beginning of a year and we have um, people setting goals. People, there's actually now, one of the things that I do when I'm coaching people in goal setting is to make sure I ask a lot of questions and to make sure that they know exactly what it is that they're going for. Because people, uh, people have a hard time putting into words exactly what they want. And they'll have these great big, huge... Um, words that you know i want to be healthy this year i wanted to get get into shape well what 
like you don't have a shape now. Everybody has a shape. <laughs> Unless you're an amoeba. You know, nobody's an amoeba. Human beings are not amoebic like. So you have a shape. You so you so you say, well, what do you want? Well, I want to get into a sh get into shape. Right. Well, what does that mean? Spank? Does it mean I mean spanks will put you into shape, but I don't think that's what they're saying. So it's being able to, you know, answer that question specifically. What will it look like, sound like, and feel like? That's gonna be how you base. Are you getting what you want or not based on evidence? Well, evidence comes in the form of see, hear, feel, taste, smell. That's it. All evidence has those elements. So if you're, you're asking the right questions, but then you're not paying attention to the evidence you're getting, you could still end up in a pretty good hole. So <laughs> end up where you started. You end up where you start or sometimes when when you're when it's worse however i'm sure in your your business alex you ask you know, when people come to you and they're looking to uh put money with you there you ask a lot of very poignant questions because i'm sure that those questions have a lot to do with you know are are is this person the kind of person that you would work with sure and it also has a lot to do with outcome, right? Is Absolutely, there, yeah. Is there a match in, in how we approach risk and portfolio management to mm -hmm. what you're actually trying to achieve? Exactly. Um, it's, and, so, you know, some, sometimes people, people well, well, what do you want? And they don't know. So then, then there's a little bit of education that has to happen. And then, then you can see whether this is, the right fit for a person or the person can see whether it's the right fit for them. I sure. know that when people call me and they'll say, I want to take NLP training. Well, okay. I mean, <laughs> what, is, what does that mean exactly? Do you want basic information? Do you want uh, practitioner master's information? Uh, what do you want? I always ask, what are you looking to do with it? What do you want to do with NLP? Are you know because you know people have a lot of different reasons for wanting to study NLP. Some people want to study it because they want to improve their life. Some people want to solve a problem. Uh, sometimes that's a communication problem. Sometimes they feel stuck in their life. Sometimes people uh, are interested in using NLP in their business. They're in sales or project management. And they just would like to be better communicator. And then there's some people that are coaches and therapists and people who work with other people and they want NLP as a set of tools. So I think I, I always ask those questions when someone calls me because my, I don't think my training is right for everybody. I mean, there are a lot of different venues in NLP and sometimes people, I think, would feel more comfortable in a, a venue that's different from mine. Mine, mine goes deep. Um, it's very uh, comprehensive and uh, there's change involved and not everybody wants change. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand that. Uh, the, the idea that somebody would say, hey, a better fit for me would be, you know, going to an event and that 
is exactly what I wanted. I didn't want a, uh, a deep learning process. Sure. Um, eventually they'll, they'll get there though. That's kind of been my experience. Mm -hmm. I, I know some, some people, I didn't you, you, you were at SMU, right? Didn't you come from SMU? Yeah, yeah. I did. I had, I had great students came from that SMU class. And I mean, that was just a little five, six week introductory to communication. Right. And I, I had some great, uh, great referrals out of that, that program. Yeah, you said, Alex, just take the next one. Is that so, okay? Is that it? <laughs> yeah. So, well, it worked, didn't it? I mean, yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> I, I hate to admit it, but I think it, it did work for you. But I, I think that um, I think you know people shouldn't be put off if if they they call someone to you know, gather information, that person asks them a lot of questions too, because, I mean, let, let me tell you how this can, can work or not work. Mm -hmm. And you, you think, you know, sometimes people say, oh, people don't change. Oh, believe me, they do change. Because years and years ago, when I was working in another field, I worked in uh, the reference library at the University of Michigan. And so there were a lot of books that you couldn't just walk up and take off a shelf. You had to go up to the reference desk and, and you know, with a request. And I, I've told this in class because it's just so poignant what happens when people don't ask enough questions. So they'll come up to the librarian and they'll say, I, I want this, I want this. But they don't tell me a specific book. They just tell me a general subject matter and they have an idea, but they're not really sure. And so they come up to me because I think I'm supposed to be able to read mine. Only I would not ask good questions, even though there's a course, <laughs> there's a course in my master's degree at that time about having how to ask good questions. It was really lost on me, Alex, embarrassingly. And so I would take that flip of paper and run back into the stacks and bring something out. And they go, yeah, no, that's not it. Okay, wait a minute. And then I go back and I pull off another book and I come back and I put it, you know, no, that's by the third time they just disappear. I guess they figured <laughs> somebody else that knows what they're doing. You know, it's not that I didn't know what I was doing. I just didn't ask enough questions. And so we have to, I think, presuppose that people don't always know what to ask for. And that's our job as a, as a questioning agent to pull out of them the information that will not only make sense to them, but it'll make sense to us. Well, that goes back to, you know, what other NLP skills can we use for gathering information? I know that uh, being overly peppered with questions actually kind of turns some people off. So what are some other things we can do? Well, that's, of course, you know, I had mentioned that, you know, just building rapport, you can pick up information. You can also, and, and I do agree, sometimes we can get real frustrated with someone that just asks question after question, uh, like we're being interrogated. So part of it is you know, the manner and intention uh, we use it to ask, ask somebody questions. 
and obviously putting on and being sincere and congruent about our the curiosity that we have with the person but also letting the person answer i mean that's that's certainly a big one is um being able to um listen to what a person is asking rather than just rapid firing questions like you're some district attorney <laughs> you know for the plaintiff or something so i think that a lot of times the key factor is just simp simply listening to what a person is saying and then asking them to clarify what the person means so nlp i believe we you know uh a couple of years ago, we had done a program on the meta model, but I thought it, it would be a good time to review that because people are sloppy thinkers and so they're sloppy communicators. And even if you can ask for missing information to challenge, maybe not challenge, but um, ask for counterexamples to generalizations sometimes, or to simply ask a person to give more information about who they're talking about or uh, who, makes, who makes judgments or are they mind reading or interpreting something. I think it's important to know, know what to ask. So there in NLP, there's the idea that we delete, we generalize and we distort information. That's the, that is the um, uh, meta model. Right. And so um, when we delete things, sometimes we just, people will delete whole, whole pieces of information. They'll <laughs> say, man, I'm really frustrated. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> About what? Specifically. Yeah. Um, or you're angry with whom or angry with what? you're, you know, people say those things and we just go, oh yeah, okay. Well, it may be important that you know about, you you know, angry with whom? Oh, I'm angry with you. Oh, well, you didn't say. So right. uh, that's one thing. Or people will use uh, references that are unspecified. So uh, he, she, it, they, you know, they promoted me. You know, this is, you know, the conspiracy, conspiracy, I can't say it. Conspiracy. Conspiracy theorists, you know, they, they are doing this. Whoever they is. We don't I know. know. They. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, but they're, they're really scary. Uh, they gave me a ride. He gave me a ride. Who specifically? You know, sometimes even when I'm listening to someone, a student or a client and they're describing something, I want to make sure, because we oftentimes, uh, I even see this when I read sometimes in a, a story where the writer or the person will use some kind of pronoun, a, um, a he or a she, and I, I have to stop and go, now who are they talking about? Are they talking about the person that was referenced right before that? Or it becomes, it can become very confusing. So I always ask for who, who are they talking about? Who specifically? So that uh, my, my brain can follow the thread. 
And then there are mm. unspecified verbs where you, you know, people will say, um, I was promoted or uh, so-and-so hurt me or they called me, mm -hmm. you know, how specifically um, did they, you know, it called maybe on the phone, but maybe that wasn't necessarily relevant to the conversation. So it's useful to know more about the verb that they're using. And then there's nominalizations and nominalizations are some of my fave. Nominalization is a nominalization. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. It is. A nominalization, sometimes people call them abstractions. Nominalization is the linguistic term. That's, that's what they call them in linguistics. But it's where a verb becomes a noun. So all these words like communication, relationship, decision, freedom, um, oh gosh, um, I said decision, I think. There's lists and lists of the, these where they, you know, the verb to decide, which is an ongoing process, is now become something fixed in time, a decision. And the people who, whose language tends to be very abstracted or very nominalized tend to be very black and white, digital, uh, rigid people because your language is a reflection of your thought process. Well, if a lot of your language is nominalized, uh, verbs that are now nouns that stop the action, then um, they tend to be rather rigid thinkers. But you want to ask, well, what, what are you deciding? How are you deciding it? What specifically, what makes it that way? So that you get the meaning or a specific verb. And then one of my other favorites, comparative deletions, he's the best. Yeah, right. At what? You know, specifically, right? Or she's the worst. Or, you know, I mean, oh, they're the best people, you know, they're the best people in town. Best at what? Good, you know, compare, what are they comparing it to? Right. So anyway, so those are just the simple, those are simple, just deletions where people leave out information um, that's relevant to the conversation. And how many times do you just listen to people and they talk on and on you mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and have no idea what they're really talking about? Because they do, but it won't transfer into your head because you don't have enough information. Then, of course, there are generalizations. And that's the use of all, always, nobody, no one, everyone. And you want to challenge for counterexamples. So is everyone going to the game? Does everyone want to take NLP? I, I hear this a lot. I heard this. This is the thing that, that cracks me up, Alex. So I'm in this networking group one time. And there was some guy that was a carpet cleaner, right? Mm -hmm. um, B2C, uh, business to consumer. And uh, so he stands up and he says, everyone could use my services. And I went, everyone, I, I don't, I can't use your services. I don't have carpet. I have hardwood floors and rugs and my rugs are cleaned by a professional rug person. I, I just, you know, people don't think about what they're saying. Not everybody is going to be 
a prospect, right? So, <laughs> and then there's operating modes or modal operators. Necessity, must, have to, should, mm -hmm. or impossibility, can't, impossible. And so you want to ask, well, what stops you or what would happen if you did or what would happen if you didn't? And then finally, cause effect, where something causes something else. There are very, real, really very few cause effect relationships that are actually true. And everything else is very subjective. They're not really cause effect relationships. So we, we like to think human beings, you know, they like to be, um, they like to make sense of things. So that's why they put meaning and create cause effect relationships, but they're usually very limiting. And okay. then the, la the last two are the distortions, people mind read. Oh, I know how you feel. <laughs> really? How do you know that? <laughs> and, um, and it's wrong to do something. It's right to do something. They're value judgments. It's good to relax. And that may be true, but who says, right? So uh, I guess those, it could be different for every person. Yes, it, it is different for every person. So I want to know who's doing the evaluation, you know, according to who? who, who is the person that's really saying this? Because some, a lot of times it's, there's a lot of information left out. Well, let's so talk about this for a second. So I'm eliciting all this information and, and maybe this goes back to, to outcome. And I know some of these things circle back to there, uh, but uh, just from a general perspective, what am I going to do with all this information? How does it help me in my business in my life? I mean, that's a great question, Alex. <laughs> so what, right? That's my famous, so what? Um, so getting, when you get information, the, consider the, the most valuable information, the high quality information is going to help you make good decisions. I think that's, that's the first thing. I think information is power and not everybody is a high information sort like I am. And I didn't start out that way. Uh, obviously as a reference librarian that didn't ask any questions, we, I've come a long way. Now I probably ask too many questions. However, I want to make sure that, you know, if somebody's coming to me, I want to make sure that they're going to make a good decision. And uh, if it's someone, if it's I'm coming to someone else, I want to make sure that I make a good decision. And having the right information and high quality information is going to be a very, um, a great asset to uh, making good decisions, which obviously are going to translate into time and money. You know, bad decisions cost money. Bad decisions cost time. And if we, if we don't know, you know, somebody engages us, if we don't ask the right questions, if we don't find out uh, what, how somebody works. Uh, recently, over this period of time, over the holidays, I had a lot of work done in my house. It, it, it just, our house, it, it had just 
you know, it was an, it's an older home and it need just needed some rotten wood replaced and steps fixed and, you know, just odds and ends of things that a contractor, they're not interested in doing. But right. finally found a couple of really great handy people. Yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs> so, but here's the thing, you know, one of the big questions that I ask people is how much is this going to cost? Well, I don't know. Well, give me a ballpark, mm -hmm. you know, based on what I told you I want, you know, and I, I understand what people, what, what people are saying, you know, if it's i uh, I'm having my website, uh, some adjustments made, it's kind of the house thing. My website's my business house, right? So it's, we're kind of doing some new things to it. We are doing some new things to it. And, you know, we had the house, uh, all that stuff cleaned up around it. Well, so, you know, I asked the web guy, I said, this is a, a new person. And I said, well, uh, how much is this? How much do you have a, you know, I know you can't give me, you know, exactly how much it's going to cost. However, could you give me a ballpark? Sure. And and then I said, I just don't, you know, want to get a bill for, you know, $5,000 or $10,000 or something, because that can happen with websites. And he goes, oh, no, 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 that won't, that won't, that won't be that way. Well, I said, well, what? I mean, he said, well, based on what you're asking for, I'd say this is probably take me a couple of hours, maybe three hours or so. That's fine. Because I know how it is hourly charges. Um, when I had, uh, I had two different types, you know, two different work companies come. Mm -hmm. One guy was a single, a single guy. Um, he came, he, he was kind of slow, but he did a great job. He was very meticulous about the things that he did in, in and outside my house, even though it took a long time. The other guy just, and he gave me a proposal and he said, it won't cost more than this. And I go, okay, that's fine. So then the, the other company, he came with two other guys and they were there two days for $75 an hour. And then they were out of there. And so both of, and they, both companies did a great job, but I had an idea of how much it was going to cost me. And, uh, and that's what just that's what kind of bothers me about people, you know, companies, uh, people offering services. Well, I don't know. I said, well, who buys something that you don't know how much is going to cost? I mean, when people come to me, they want to know how much is going to cost. And I have, you know, a, you know, a packages that people can buy for coaching. If you're not sure, just do you know a session or two and see how it is and then you can get a discount by buying a package if you want to do it that way i not you know you know i don't do this for the money necessarily i mean <laughs> the living do you know what i'm saying but i don't this isn't you know just charge people whatever they want so but i i understand that concept of people want to know how much it's going to cost and so i i don't yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking that. No, I think a clear transparency on, on that um, is really helpful for, for people to make decisions. 
And it, if you're going to be good at, at uh, what Napoleon Hill would call rendering useful service uh, and, and creating great win-win situations, asking great questions is a, a, a step in that direction for sure. Right, exactly. Uh, there was something else that I was uh, thinking about, but I, I think that's really a, a great, great question. It, you know, when I bought my car, I, um, the car, what'd you, what, what'd you buy, by the way? I'm curious. I, I, this is really funny. So my, not to go into a big, long story, <laughs> but I probably will. My sister-in-law has a, a Highlander, Toyota Highlander. Uh-huh. And you know, some of these SUVs are like houses. You're, you're driving <laughs> around a house. I don't need a car that big. However, I wanted, you know, I wanted the SUV type thing, easier to get in and out of, throw the groceries in the back, you know, that trap door in the back, the whole nine mm-hmm. yards. So I, it, oh, over this last year, when I was up in Iowa, I drove my sister-in-law's car a couple of times and I liked it. The thing about the Highlander though, is that she has one that's old. It's an old Highlander. So it's smaller. I don't know. For some reason, the newer models, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So I drove a Highlander. Then I drove another RX 350, which is a Lexus. I've been a Lexus owner for, you know, over 30 years. However, um, I, I don't know. This time I wasn't that impressed with it. And I had some other criteria in the back of my mind that in the great scheme of things probably wouldn't have made that much difference but i did want a road car tim and i like to go and and do road trips and we have a couple of small dogs and it's a lot of fun if you have a nice vehicle to go to go in so i told my guy at sewell um you know i was looking for this so we drove some cars and i just there was a highlander down in austin and he would ship it up and it would cost $500. But if I didn't want it, I'm so glad I didn't do that. And I said, that was a question that I asked. I said, so if I pay the $500 to have it shipped up here and I buy it, will that go towards you know what I pay for the car? He goes, yes. But he says, if you don't get it, it goes back to that dealership and it'll cost you your $500. Oh, okay. So I decided not to get it. And then he sends me this a text and he says, hey, I've got an uh, uh, Acura MDX. It just came onto the lot. It's in pristine condition. It's, you know, I wanted something around 2016 uh, with low mileage, 37,000 miles, 216, good price range, went in, drove it, had Tim drive it. Of course, Tim comes, see, everybody uses different information. So Tim comes over to look at it. The first thing he does is pop the hood. And starts asking the sales person about the steering mechanism. It steers, Tim. It drives. It's got an engine, right? You see, these are some of the questions I I wouldn't know to ask. Tim's asking all these questions about the drivetrain and all that sort of thing. So, but one of the things that I did did ask was uh, for the um, 
the war, you know, to buy a, a warranty since this is the new, new thing for me. Mm. And I, I'm not, I, I never even looked at an Acura. Never. It would never have occurred to me to look at an Acura. And then I ended up buying this car and I love it. It's, um, it's taken me a while to get used to it because it's so much bigger than my, my sedan, but then, then, then the couch in the, yeah, the, the, the <laughs> sofa, as Tim calls them. <laughs> this, what did he call that? The riding sofa or something. Silver sofa. That's it was funny. Sofa. But anyway, so he, um, uh, so I asked him about the warranty and rolling that into the payment. And so it turns out, and so I asked a lot of, I just asked so many questions about that. It turns out, well, you're paying for the warranty for five years, but it's only good for four. I didn't like that. So I ended up doing something different. But, you know, these are the kind of things that in the past when I was younger, I wouldn't have asked, but then I wouldn't have made a good decision. And later on, I would have found out that, oh, well, you know. <laughs> You've been a little annoyed. I would have been annoyed. And I have been there before. So this was, um, you know, I, I, I really do. I do a lot of research on things before I make a decision and uh, or before I buy something. If it's something that has, has a lot of money uh, involved in it. When I bought my house, I didn't ask enough questions. Now, I've been here almost 20 years. Uh, of course, my husband lives here too. But I just, um, I did not ask enough questions about this i didn't ask for electricity bills and oh yeah that was a mistake because this house is all electric and i'll tell you what that <laughs> first winter i had seventeen hundred dollars and two months of heating bills <laughs> oh wow i don't anymore because i got smart and I have a better electric company and I've got a new furnace and a bunch of things that have really helped. However, that, why didn't I ask that, you know? So I did ask about taxes, but I paid quite a bit more for this house than what they were paying on for taxes. And of course, then I got hit with my tax bill and I went, oops. So here we go. So, little, little things. Little things, Alex, uh, can make a big difference. All right. So this also gets to another, another kind of key thing for me is um, like when you're buying a car, you're, you're making a decision like that. Asking yourself those questions that really drill down to your criteria. Yes. Will, will help you uh, get to your, well, to get to your outcome. What would it, what is it that I really, really want? And um, I, we've done the outcome frame before and, and, uh, in, in podcast form, I'm sure you did it uh, prior to prior to having me on the show too. But um, that knowing what you want is step one, actually. Yes. In fact, one of my questions was, you know, what's the most important question anybody's ever asked you? And I think that was it. What? What do you want? What do you want? It because yeah. says, see, here's the thing, Alex, uh, and that's of course in a specific context. Uh, but when I first took my NLP class back in, you know, 30 some years ago, 35 years ago, or whatever it was, you know, I, my life wasn't going so well. And I was really in a situation, a financial situation, 
relationship situation that wasn't healthy. And I really, really needed, needed something. I needed something different. I needed a set of tools. And so I took this class and I remember I had a problem and I'd volunteered to do the anchoring demonstration with the instructor. And he said, you know, I was telling him about the situation that I was really angry about. And he said, well, what do you want? And I just sat there and I looked at him and I said, you mean I have a choice? <laughs> My eyes got biggest saucers. I did not know you could have a choice in emotions. That's where I came from. And so that, that probably was the most important question anybody ever asked me. It was the turning point of my life when I thought, wow, I can, I have a choice and NLP helped me along the way, figure out to choose the things that, that really would work for me. And I love, I love what you were saying about criteria, asking yourself question, what's important to you about this. That's another great question what's important to you about this. Because if you don't know your own criteria, you'll not make good choices. And, um, or you'll get stuck between two things. You know, there's, usually we choose things in a hierarchy of criteria and we've got that overarching one that if, if it's not met, we won't do it or buy it or whatever the situation is. Well, sometimes you can't make decisions because of lateral criteria. You're applying criteria that has the same weight. And of course you can't decide when that happens. And so understanding what's important to you about something. I, I ask people that when they call about NLP, what's important to you about taking NLP gives me a lot of information about what's motivating them. Powerful, powerful question. Yeah, I actually ask that question a lot in my business. You do? Yeah. yeah. Now, what's what's what do you think is the most important question anybody asked you? Oh, I, wow! I don't. Uh, I'll have to think about it for a minute. Okay. Well, <laughs> what are, let me do it this way then. What are some important questions that people have asked you? Not not the most, but what is what is? Well, there, so there's been some important questions I've asked myself. I I think okay. I'll I'll start there, but um you know, for when it comes to being healthy and what did I want, um, when it came to, to being healthy, um, I had a, a kind of a double bind situation where I kind of had this idea of, you know, muscle head guys being jerks or something like that. So <laughs> it, <laughs> there was part of me that really didn't want to be like that. Right. And, and so I had to drill down to really figure out what it was. And, what it came down to is I really want to be highly effective. That's something that's really is important to me. Um, and, uh, and that overrides all those other things. But, uh, but I had to ask myself a lot of questions to get there, yeah. which is, that, what do you, what do you, what's really important to you about being fit? And then you define fit, you know, however you define that. But um, yeah, that was a real important question for me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. That's a, um, you know, that's a really good question. I, I would challenge our audience to start asking better questions and, you know, what, what does somebody want? What, you know, in the, in a particular, you know, when you think about buying a car, training, um, buying a refrigerator, um, 
improving your health? What do you, you know, what do you want? And then what's important to you about that? Those two questions uh, will go a long way in helping you define what it is and creating the kind of experience that you want. Otherwise, you know, it's just like shooting fish in a barrel. It's very, very difficult to, um, it's very, very difficult to get, you know, these nebulous ideas inside your head to manifest if you're just simply you're not defining. If you're, if you're letting, yeah, letting the, letting the thoughts run amok. Right, exactly. And this, is that really what you want? <laughs> yeah, okay. It is. You know, even by the tone of voice that you use, it can can really direct a listener in how to in how to think. So, uh, all yeah, right. Here's well, a here's a here's a here's a. I was going to say last one. This is kind of funny, but um, there's always that question: Why do I always do this? Oh gosh. And, uh, yeah. well, you're probably you probably improve on that question too. But <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's that's great. That's a great question to wrap up. Why do I always do this? So there's a why. So if, you know, somebody, somebody sometimes will ask me, well, I don't, I want to know why I am the way I am. Well, what's that going to do for you? Because so what? I mean, there must be some, something in there that, you know, is just knowing why going to be good enough? Is it, or is that going to get you what you want? So that's one thing, but so there's that why question, but why do, why does this keep happening or why do I keep doing it? What does that do? It just, you know, it puts your attention on the pattern that's not working. So if you ask, what do I need to do differently next time? Then all of a sudden you're telling your brain to sort for different or new information to create choice and possibilities in, in your behavior or your thinking. And th those questions, you know, even when you're stuck, not why am I stuck? What is it that I have to do differently to get moving again? So if you just simply think about the questions, what do I want to do differently next time is going to help sort your memories and bring up new information and counterexamples to teach you that there are other choices and you probably have taken them. You're just not aware of them at the time. It's the same with belief work. You know, it, beliefs are just uh, the end of knowledge. They're not the beginning. It's they, their beliefs are not real. They're just generalizations that we've come up, come up with to help explain things that we can't explain. It helps, they help us make sense of the world, but there are always counterexamples to them. And I love asking that question when I'm working with someone with belief, you know, belief arena. So what are the counterexamples to that belief? And invariably, if, if a person can come up with one, which they invariably do, because beliefs aren't real to begin with, and then it, once they open that door, all kinds of information will come flooding in. And then it creates a limiting belief to be invalid. Once it's open to doubt, you have the world of possibility of something, you know, it, it, 
constructing a new belief that's a lot more empowering and will create more of what you want. So those are the kinds of questions that I that I ask myself. I don't I don't can't remember the last time I said why why do I keep doing this because it doesn't go anyplace. <laughs> it's it's a dead question. <laughs> You know, what do I need to do differently next time is much, you know, is an indication that I really, really would like to open up choices and possibilities. That's right. So learn to ask when questions and not why questions. Yes. When and if you want to render, if you want to render great service to yourself and to others, then, then maybe asking better questions is a good place to start. Um, what do you have coming up in the new year? Um, as far as programs and, and contact and all that kind of stuff. Good. Thank you, Alex. So uh, new year is I'm going to be doing my art and skill of training and presenting this year again. And um, this I'm going to do it. I think it's in May and July, I think May or August or I don't know. I had to have to look on the website. And so I'm going to be doing that for, for anyone who is, has a master certification in NLP. It's a great course. It'll take your NLP skills to the next level. And, but it'll teach you a lot of things about how people learn. So even if you don't ever want to get up in front of people to present, it's, a great, it's even great for managers uh, or people who teach other people to do things because there's so much information in it about, you know, how to set all kinds of frames and uh, how people learn, how adults learn, especially, because it's a little bit different than when how kids learn. So that's coming up. And I'm planning to do, start another mastery in NLP. I've combined the practitioner and the masters into a one-year course. So you don't have to do a practitioner and then decide whether you master, you'll get it all at once anyway. And I'm finding it works much better. It's easier to integrate all the information that way. So I am going to start that. Most of my time now is spent uh, coaching people individually on Zoom. And wow. uh, I, a lot of the little classes, Alex, like the bullseye and the ideal client, what was the other, oh, boundaries, Lots of little little courses like that, my NLP application course, really lend themselves well to doing those online too individually. So a lot of my time now on, on Zoom and I'm loving it. So uh, people don't have to travel. So yeah, it works out nice. really well. You're, yeah. you're a global brand. I'm a global, yeah, I'm a global <laughs> brand. That's it. Um, <laughs> No, it's just uh, it's just a different way of doing things, but it certainly it's certainly great for people who want to have access to me, but live in a different part of the country or a different part of the world. So I've talked to people from Mexico City. I have a couple of people from Kentucky and a gal from California in my master's class right now, and um, we're doing it all online and. So far, it's worked out pretty well. They're almost, they've got three more weekends left and then they'll be finished. And I think they're doing really well. I, I didn't know how it would work, but it's working just great. Perfect. So um, anyway, so that's, those are the things that, that are coming up this year. 
All right. So that's art and skill of pre presenting, teaching, and training. That's May 4th through the 8th and July 20th through the 24th of this year. Mastery in NLP starts uh, on August 20th. And um, you can reach Susan, 214-351-5433. And what's your email address? It's Susan at NLP Training Concepts. That's with an S dot com. Susan at NLP Training Concepts dot um, and certainly just drop me an email and be happy to answer your questions about classes or coaching, or even if you have an NLP question, I'd be happy to, you know, do what I can to ask, uh, get you the information. So I think NLP is a valuable resource, especially in today's world of rapid change. And it really helps us keep our brains malleable and open to possibilities and choices and, and therefore less stress. And we could all use a little bit less of that. I'm sure. All right. Well that, thank you, Susan. That concludes episode number 45. I know. So look forward. I look forward this year to hearing from people and also uh, doing more, uh, programs like this. If, if you happen to have any ideas of something that you would like us to do a show about, please let us know. And uh, I mean, I could, I can sit here and talk, you know, probably for the rest of my life <laughs> about things, but there may be things that you have questions about or want clarification on. We'd be happy to do a show on it. If you just let us know, you can email me off my website and uh, under contact and just let us know. It would be great. Alex and I would love to hear from you. So Alex, thank you. It was great finally to get going this year. And I look forward to having a, having a great year with you. Me too. Thanks, Susan. Uh -huh. Take care.